Hi, this is Pastor Paul J. Chandran, and you're listening to Life Church Castle Hill Podcast. We are in a series on the book of Ecclesiastes. What a season to be studying this book. You know why? Because this book is a, is a philosophy of life. The wisest king that ruled Israel, he is the son of David. And he inherited a kingdom that was so prosperous. And in his reign, the kingdom became even more prosperous. And he had all the wealth in the world. He was so famous that people traveled literally from the other side of the world to come and hear his wisdom. And he was known for his wisdom. He was very popular. He was very rich. And he was a very, very wise man. Why? Because he received a wisdom from God, the Bible says. Now, this man... In later on in his life, has penned a book for us. It's almost like he handed over a journal that he had written about life, his reflections of life. And we've been studying this because this book is an interesting book. And this book today, I want to take you to the first chapter and the 11 verses. We're going to meditate on it today. Why? Because this 11 verses will be foundational for the rest of the book. So if you're reading this book, it's only 12 chapters, but I want you to pay attention to this sermon because last week I gave you an overview. Today, I'm going to take you to the 11 verses and give you one of the key things that he observes about life. Now, as I look at this, I want to give you the title of today's sermon. The title of today's sermon is The Key to Ultimate Satisfaction. This addresses the issue that he is facing, which is the search for satisfaction. See, Solomon had all that you and I would ask or imagine. He had experienced everything. But he observes life and he says... In his grand conclusion, this is what we read last week, and I want you to read this with me, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3. See, a Jewish writer will always give you the conclusion of the matter, and then he will go on to explain it. So the whole thesis of the book is summarized in these two verses, and I want you to pay attention to this. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2, the Bible says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? I want you to pay attention to this. Vanity of vanities. See, the modern use of this language, vanity, the word vanity, is pride. But that's not what the writer here is saying. Vanity here is uh, um, it, it's, it's meaningless. It's like a smoke. It's like a vapor. It is something that is empty. You went after something and then realized it is empty. M empty of what? Empty of meaning, empty of purpose, and empty of significance that it doesn't truly satisfy. So here he says, what gain does a man have by all the toil in verse 3? What gain? In other words, what does it profit a man? While after he has done everything he wants to do in this life, what does it profit for all the work that he's doing under the sun? I want you to pay attention to this because this is what the question is. What is the point? Why is it? It's so meaningless. It is so routine. It is so, uh, what do you call it? It is just pointless. So what is this fuss all about? And that is his question. And that caused him to search and today we're going to read in the first 11 verses as we study it, we're going to find out how does he search for 
the ultimate satisfaction. So I want to highlight to you what is the key to ultimate satisfaction. So stay tuned right till the end. This is what it is. 35 times in this book, he uses that word meaningless or vanity. And the reason why he comes to this conclusion is because he examines life under the sun. You heard that statement being said in verse 3. Under the sun. He looks at the earthly temporal life, as long as you live kind of life. And he says, what is the point? Because it is pointless. Under the sun, if I put that lens on and I see, nothing happens. You know, when I read the newspaper and I watch the news, the current news right now, there are numerous cruise ships around the world that are stranded. Passengers and crew members are stuck in these cruise liners. They are luxury cruises. They are meant to take you to exotic destinations. But because of circumstances and situation that we are currently in, they are all stuck, nowhere to go. And all the fun had been sucked out of it. All the life and fun has been sucked out of it. And, and this is the predicament that many are facing. Will they even survive? I want you to listen to me carefully. As, as much as we sympathize with what is happening and we pray that God will intervene, I want you to look at this as a parable of life. This is how human life is. We feel like we are jumping on a ship and we are trying to go to an exotic destination. But guess what? Sometimes life happens and there is a meaninglessness. There is a, it's, a, it's like a cruise ship that has no way to go. And that is what Solomon concludes about life. And he says, man, unless you think about life, life under the sun, when you carefully examine it, it is meaningless. It is like, a, uh, you know, when, when, when my boys were young, we take them to the basketball court to play basketball. They were part of some teams. And as a father, as a mother, we want to stay in the sideline and cheer. Sometimes these little toddlers and they're running around and playing this basketball some guys sometimes get excited, take the ball and run to the wrong side and score a goal. And he's so happy he scored a goal, but it's no point. No point. That's how it feels like. What he's saying is, even though you seem like you're very productive, you're progressing, you're doing a lot of stuff, but at the end of the day, is it achieving? What is it achieving? What is it all about? And when Solomon looks at life, he concludes and he says, it is meaningless. And this is what you and I, we need to study. So he uses two lenses in this uh, book. He examines life under the sun, and then he gives an alternative, a life under the hand of God. Because you cannot live life just based on under the sun perspective. Under the sun is what goes on in this world without God. It is a materialistic way of looking at life. It is a life without God in the picture. But the moment you take your eyes off the earth and lift it up above the sun, there is a God in heaven who created this world for his purpose, who created mankind for his purpose, and he has a plan and a purpose that he's outworking in this world. And when you connect yourself to that, you live a life under the hand of God. That's why last Sunday I concluded by saying, put God into the equation of your life. So two lenses, life under the sun and life under the hand of God. But as he looks at this life, he begins to recognize there are searches that human hearts have. 
And he wants to, I want you to pay attention to these 11 verses, and I take these 11 verses, and I give it three titles. I want you to write these things. These three searches in, in his quest for ultimate satisfaction. There are three searches. What, are the, what is the search? Number one, it's a quest for ultimate meaning. Verse two says, vanity of vanity. In other words, everything is meaningless. In other words, he's searching for ultimate meaning. That's the first search that we find here. The second search is found in verse three all the way to verse eight, and he talks about there is a search, a quest for ultimate purpose. What is the purpose behind all these things? Why do we need to live life like this? Why are we running the rat race? Why are we rushing from here to there? And he looks at the monotonous sense of life, a life that is boring and aimless, and he looks at it and he goes, what is the ultimate purpose here? And thirdly, he looks at the quest for ultimate significance. He's, he believes that mankind is searching for an ultimate significance. They want significance. And today we're gonna examine it. So from verse eight all the way to verse 11, you'll find, the quest for ultimate significance. So I'm gonna take these three points and look at the flow of how Solomon explains life to us. Why does he bring to this grand conclusion that life is meaningless under the sun? Look at this, in, in verse four to verse seven, he makes four observations of life that I want you to pay attention to. Why? Because this four observations, he looks at the nature, he looks at the earth, he looks at the sun, he looks at the wind, and he looks at the rivers. And he gives you his observation of life, and there are some principles for you and I to study. Look at this. The first one he says is in verse 4. He says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Listen to me carefully. What does this mean? A generation comes, a generation goes, but earth remains forever. Does that mean that earth is eternal? No, that's not what it means. What it means is mankind's life is short. There is a brevity of life that we need to comprehend in comparison to the earth. Earth will live longer than you. Earth has been when your grandfather was here. Earth will be when you have left and your grandchildren are here. In other words, the earth will outlast you. In, in comparison, if you think about it, life is short. Mankind's life is short. That's what he's saying. And that is the principle you and I need to understand. I've heard of a preacher in, uh, uh, in another country whose, uh, whose surname is uh, Mr. Go, Go, G-O-H. And whenever he introduces himself, he always says, I am Mr. Go, my father is going, and my grandfather is gone. In other words, a generation comes, a generation goes, but earth remains. What is that? It is earth, earth will live permanently, but you, meaning for, it will last you, outlast you, but your life is short. So how do we live life in light of that? See, you and I, we need to understand that life is short. That means every single day, we need to treasure it. We need to use it wisely, and we need to invest it. You know, there was a man on a cruise ship. He saw another man leaning over the deck and he was throwing something in the air and he was catching. And he observed closely and it was a diamond ring that he was throwing up and down. And, uh, and it was almost like he was stretching it out into the ocean and trying to catch it. So the man asked, leaned over and asked him, hey, aren't you afraid that you will drop it? He said, so far I haven't, so I won't. And the very next moment he dropped it. 
See, I, I want you to pay attention to this. Many times people do not understand the brevity of life. Look at the world today, church. People are gripped with fear. You know why? Because they don't know whether they will live or die. There are many people who are stranded in cruise ships. There are many people who are stranded in hotel rooms across the world. People who are living in fear. Why? They don't know whether they have a tomorrow. But can I humbly say this? You and I as people of God, we need to take a step back and examine our life and say, my life is precious. I cannot play with it. My life is not a toy. My life is a treasure. I need to treasure every single day. And I do not want to waste my life. So if you do not want to waste your life, then how do you need to live life in light of that? In light of that, you know how we need to live? We need to invest it in eternal things that will last beyond you. Can you say amen? You and I, we need to learn to invest our lives. But the problem is, many times we forget that our life is short. Not only we forget that our life is short, we don't even think about the mortality of our lives, but we just worry about the past, or worry about the future. I want you to think about this. Lot of this in this season, the government says that the mental health crisis will increase. I tell you why mental health crisis will increase is because people are bound to their past. They are worried about they were they are there are wounds of the past that they keep bringing up, keep playing up. You know, even this morning in the newspaper, it was said that. Couples that are divorced are struggling because there are the, 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 where would the kids live in this time? There are custody struggle that is going on. Look at this. Wounds of the past. I don't allow you to live life with the meaning and purpose and significance. Why? Because you're still stuck to the past. There's a baggage that you're carrying. Not only that, people borrow their worry from tomorrow. They don't even know. They don't even live today. They are worried about tomorrow. So can I humbly say this? This is two things that I find as a student of life. I find this, the wounds of the past will cripple you. The worries of the future will also cripple you. You gotta learn to deal with the past under the blood of Jesus and you need to come and trust your future to God. Hallelujah. That is why you and I, as people of God, when you examine life under the sun, it is, it is short. But life under the hand of God, we have Jesus who died for our past. Hallelujah. He died for our sins. He redeemed our mankind and he gave us forgiveness of sins. So we don't need to carry the baggage of the past. We can let it go. Hallelujah. Not only we can let it go and let God, we can come to that place where we embrace a future in Jesus as well. Why? Because today the Bible says, this is the prophetic word, listen to me. If you're eagerly waiting for an end time prophetic word, this is the prophetic word. Jesus came once before, 2,000 years ago, as the savior of mankind. But Jesus is returning back to his church soon. That's the prophetic word. He will come soon. Why? When he comes soon, he will take you into glory. And not only he will take the church into glory, the Bible says in Revelation 21, later on, he will establish a new earth, a new heaven, and you and I will live with him forever. There is no tears, no sorrow, no, no nothing. Why? Because God will be among us and we will be his people and we will live forever with him. Hallelujah. That is the restoration that is found in Christ Jesus. So as people of God, we have hope. 
What is the hope we have? We have hope that our past is forgiven. We have hope that our future is secure because of the blood, because of the death, because of the burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because he's coming again for us, we can live life differently, distinctly from the rest of the world. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, life is short, but Jesus is coming again. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. We thank you. We praise you, mighty God. The second observation he does is in verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. I look at this, I'm going, what does it mean? Sun rises and sun goes down. You know, you, if you're a scientifically wired person, you'll read this and go, but that's not true. Sci sun doesn't go up and come down. Ha, hello, you're reading a poetry here, right? You don't, you don't, you don't take scientific things from poetry. This is, a, this is a poem, and this is a poetry. It's a reflection about life. But he's trying to address a philosophy of life. What is it? The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens. The word there is, it pans, it rushes. You know, in this house, we always say, you rush here, you rush there, you become a Russian. Look at this. It says the sun is rushing. Rushing to do what? To the place where it rises. In other words, the sun is doing the same thing over and over again. It's like as though the sun is rising in the east and then it rushes to go to the west. And once it sets in the west, it rushes to come back to the east and to rise again. That's what it, it is. It is like a meaningless, boring, predictably boring life. That's what he's saying. He's saying life under the sun is very predictable. Life under the sun is boring. You and I think about it. Every day you wake up, you brush your teeth, hopefully, and then you take a shower, hopefully, even in this time of uh, isolation, you better still do those things. These are hygiene stuff. People, oh, hallelujah. That will set some people free. That will set some family uh, to be at peace. Hallelujah. You know, I want you to think about this. Uh, these are things that we do routine. We wake up, we brush teeth, we eat, and then we go to work. We do the work. We come back, and we, then we watch some TV, and then uh, talk to our family members, and then go sleep. And then next day, wake up, do the same thing. And once in a while, we take a break from this rat race, and we go for holidays, and we come back. It's the same thing that we do year after year. And that is what exactly Solomon says. I have lived life, I've observed people, and he says life is predictably boring. Why? Because it's the same thing you keep doing. But can I humbly say this? As people of God, our life is not predictably boring. You know why? You and I, we are called to live under the hand of God. Under the hand of God is about knowing Jesus. It is about loving Jesus. It is about serving Jesus. It is about walking with him and working with him. Can I tell you, that life of faith is an exciting adventure. Church, if you say to me, Pastor, I've been a Christian, but my life is same things. It is like a predictably boring life. Can I humbly say, that means you are not fervent in the Lord. Because the moment your heart for Jesus, the moment you have given yourself completely to him, you have embraced a life in Christ. What happens is he gives you a sense of adventure. There is a faith journey that he takes you on. You are excitedly jumping out of bed every morning saying, good morning, Lord. Otherwise, you know what you would be saying? Good Lord, it's morning. You and I, we need to come and examine our lives. That's exactly what he's saying. If you have lost that sense of purpose and a sense of destiny and the sense of adventure in your Christian walk, 
Maybe it is because you're living a very uh, carnal life. Or maybe you're living a very compromised life. You're not living a life on mission. You know, life on mission is exciting. Live life like that. The third thing he says here is, in verse 6, he says, life is aimless. Look at this. He looks at the wind. He says, the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. What is it? See, sun can be predicted. It rises in the east and sets in the west. It's predictable. But here he says, wind is unpredictable. It goes everywhere and it goes around. You don't know where it is going. In other words, life is sometimes aimless. In other words, there's no real sense of purpose. There is no real sense of destiny. Can I humbly say this, church? Many people's lives are where they have hit a hot autopilot in their life. You know, when you go on a long drive, and I love, I, I love the autopilot feature. You know, when you go on a long drive, you can just turn this on. And now they have even this uh, smart control feature. In other words, it will automatically break when it senses there is a car in front or the traffic is slowing down. I tell you what, it's going to make us even more lazy. I've, I've done this where we go on a long drive and we do this in autopilot mode. After a while, you go sleepy. And you're wondering, whoa, wow, this is not good. I want you to listen to me carefully. Many people's lives are in an autopilot mode right now. Even now in this, uh, in this uh, lockdown, in this kind of uh, self-isolation and all this time, when you go on an autopilot mode, what it is? You go through the normal routine of life without thinking, without examining, without carefully studying what the Lord is saying. Can I humbly say this? Autopilot life looks like this. Go to work, come back be with the family, do some things and watch Netflix and then sleep. That autopilot life, a life that is not examined in light of the scriptures, a life that is not fervent where you go before God and, and storm heaven and ask what is the Lord saying to you in seasons like this. This is important for you and me. That is why when you live life under the sun, it is an autopilot life. But when you live life under the hand of God, it is an exciting journey because the Holy Spirit, if you follow him, he leads you, he prompts you, he asks you to obey certain things. He, he impresses upon your heart. Call this person. You know, even this week, I just came, I, I, I was just, uh, I was about to have my tea in the late afternoon. My wife makes a wonderful Dilma Indian tea for me. And I was just sitting there and about to enjoy it and, and have a sip. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit just dropped this uh, pastor in my heart and said, call him. So I put aside my tea and I immediately called this man. And he said, wow, Paul, can I, I, I be, I've been just wanting to talk to you. I haven't had a chance to call you. Can we set up a meeting tonight? Can you, is it possible this is urgent? So we had a meeting, more than two and a half hours to counsel him and his wife because they're going through a difficult season. I want you to listen to me carefully. Life with God is not aimless. It's purposeful because you follow the Holy Spirit's leading and you, you can be useful even during lockdown, even during this moment when the world is filled with uncertainty, the certainty of God's people, the God's word and God's will and God's plan for us. We have a word in season for them. Come on, church. You and I, we are called to live a life that is not on autopilot, but actually with a, filled with a sense of destiny. Hallelujah. Let me give you the fourth one. He says, in verse 7, he says, life is a mystery. That's what he's saying. Look at this. In other words, there are 
things that cannot be explained in life. Look at this. He says, in all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, where they flow again. <laughs> when you think about this, well, if you have already studied science in school, even the school children will say, all streams run to the sea, and the sea is not full. Why? Because scientifically, we can explain it. There is evaporation, and then clouds form, and rain comes back, so it's a routine. So when you read this superficially, you can talk about the routine of life. But you and I, we got to pay attention to who wrote this, and in the time that he wrote. The time in which he wrote, there was no understanding of evaporation and cloud forming and then, and then, and then, and then condensation and then again rainfall. There was no uh, a scientific explanation. So how did he examine life? He examines life that rivers flow and yet the sea is not full. It's not overflowing. The river keeps flowing, but it's not overflowing. In other words, he's saying life sometimes is a mystery. We cannot explain things. You and I, we need to understand this. This is, uh, you, you, there, are, there is a conundrum in life. You know, sometimes people want everything to be, uh, they want to have understanding about everything. Can I humbly say this? One day you will, when you wake up in the presence of your Savior, you open your eyes and you will have a knowing that you don't have on this earth. But right now, there will be things that are unexplainable, inexplainable so what, how do we navigate life like this? See, many times people ask questions like this. Why good people suffer? Why bad people are blessed and good people are suffering? See, you got to understand, life is such that it's like a twin track, like a railway track. It's, it's one is good and the other one is bad. Life will be like that, favor and famine. It's not like you will have seven years of favor and then a seven years of famine, even though that happened in the book of Genesis with Joseph's life. But in life, in general, when you observe it, there will be season where it is favor and famine go side by side. I want you to examine this. Uh, that's why don't lose heart, don't lose hope. What you and I, we need to understand is you cannot understand how God is working out his purposes in these kind of situations. You know, it was story was told of a... Uh, a man who had a prize horse. And one day the prize horse escaped. And when it escaped, all the community in the village uh, was feeling bad for him. And he felt bad. But then one day, the horse came back with other horses. It had, it had gone and consorted other horses and brought them all back. So now they have a, a whole collection of uh, prized horses. And now the village all say, wow, that is so good. What was bad and it's now good. And then the, the man's son was trying to train one of this wild horse. And while he was training the wild horse, his, he fell down and he broke his uh, leg. Now the whole village said, oh, how bad it is for him. You know, so sad that he broke his leg. But then the war broke out and the news came that all the young people have to, be, uh, have to go on war to fight the battle. But then that's when they said, oh, wow, it's so good. Now his leg is broken. He doesn't have to go. I want you to think about life. Life is such. You can't explain away everything. And that is the whole point Solomon is making. He says, I have tried to study life. I've tried to observe life, but I've come to a conclusion that life sometimes is a mystery, cannot be explained. That is the life under the sun, but the life under the hand of God, you know the one who holds your future. 
You know the one who turns all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That's why we always say, I don't need to understand. I don't need the explanation. I just simply trust him and hold on to him because he is sovereign. He is good. He is wise. He is always in control and he will bring about his purposes concerning my life. And the people of God said, amen, hallelujah. You and I, we need to recognize that God is on the throne. That's why, doesn't matter. Solomon here looks at life and he says, yes, life is a meaningless routine. Life is short, just like the earth will last beyond you. Your, your life is short in comparison to the earth. Life is predictably boring because the sun rises and sets and there's a routine that happens. There's a boring life. Then he says, life is aimless because the wind, we don't know where it will go. It just keeps going. It's like those cruise ships right now in the middle of the ocean. Don't know which port to go, which country to go. Stranded. And he says, sometimes life is like that, aimless. And fourthly, he goes, life is inexplainable. In other words, sometimes mystery, sometimes you don't understand. Things happen, but you just have to take life as it is. What a view of life. But I want you to think about this. This is a life under the sun. But you and I, we can come back to God anytime. And when you give your life to Jesus, you don't live under the sun life, but you live under the hand of God life. Your life can be filled with meaning and purpose, and your life can be filled with significance. So as Solomon examines these things, I told you he is, he's on a search for ultimate satisfaction. And that ultimate satisfaction is found in three things in this passage. One is the quest for ultimate meaning. It's the quest for ultimate purpose. And the third thing is a quest for ultimate significance. Look at how he explains it even more. He tries to understand life. He tries to study life. Now he shared four observations of life. Now he shares there are two existential problems in life. This is a problem that affects every one of us. And he says, these two problems, you and I, we need to be aware of. And so what he says in verse 8, look at this, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 8. What is the two problems? Number one, it's the lack of satisfaction. That's the first problem. And the second problem, it's the lack of significance. Let me give you the two things so you can write it down and then pay attention to the reading of the word. The Bible says, the lack of satisfaction. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Pay attention to this. What he is trying to say is, the eye is not satisfied with whatever it sees. The ear is not satisfied with whatever it hears. And this is full of weariness, he says. In other words, his conclusion about life, he says there is an existential problem in human beings that is a lack of satisfaction. They are not easily satisfied. You know, you and I, we agree with this, isn't it? You and I, we know this for a fact. You know, nothing, nothing under the sun truly satisfies us. But you may say, Pastor, <laughs> I just got married. I'm quite satisfied. Give it a few more years. <laughs> I remember this joke that was said. You know, when a man opens the door of his car to his wife, it is either the wife is new or the car is new. <laughs> Give you a moment to laugh. 
This is true. In other words, it's there is a novelty about things. It's exciting. I remember the first time I ever flew out of India. I, I got on the plane and I was so excited. Uh, they served me food and got, got to the place where I needed to go in four hours and it was an exciting journey. Wow, I remember every, inch, every detail of it. I was cherishing it, all that. But now over the last that many years, two decades of my life, God has taken me to, around to almost 30 countries. And in all that travel, now that travel doesn't excite in the same way. Rather, it's like, oh man, two-hour wait in the, in, the, in the airport, the transitions at the airport, wow. All those things. In other words, you get, you, the novelty wears off. That's what I want you to understand. That's exactly what he is saying. You know, I remember the first time we went on a holiday as a family. Um, and this was uh, after one of those difficult seasons in ministry life. Uh, we could afford to go on a, on a budget holiday to, uh, to this country. And uh, while we were there in that country, and my wife had booked, uh, because it was, uh, it was a deal that she found, and we went into this room, and it was a, a five-star hotel, but it was just one room with two double beds, and we were stuck with four of us stuck in that small room. And I remember, after the first night, my wife turned to me and said, honey, I'm so thankful that God has provided us a holiday, but I don't think I can get any sleep with these two boys running around wild like this. It won't be a holiday. It is a nightmare. So, so we went before the Lord. We said, Lord, can you please show us some favor in this situation? And my wife went to the, to, the, to the reception counter and started talking to the people and said, is there any room larger than this uh, that we could possibly uh, move into? Or uh, I just want to know the costing because uh, we just want to understand what is available. And cut the long story short, the lady at the counter, the receptionist said, uh, we actually don't have any other rooms available, but we, we have another line of uh, uh, villas, two-bedroom villas. They are luxury apartments, villas uh, that are available. But one of them, we couldn't let it out, so it is sitting empty. We usually let them only for seven days, but to, uh, today, um, this week has started and we haven't been able to fill it. So I can move your family there. You just give me a token of just a $200, just a token to move you there. But it's usually about 1400 uh, f to, to $1,800 uh, US per week. But the next four days, you can move in there. Just asked him, the favor happened, we moved in there. And the boys were like loving it because they got their own section, they had their own bedroom, they had their own living area and all that. Guess what, after that? My little one, my youngest one, he turned to me. He was probably only six or seven years old at that time. He turned to me and said, Daddy, how many stars is this hotel? I said, it's about five. He said, from now on, can we make sure we stay only in five star? Can I humbly say this? Luxuries once enjoyed becomes necessities. In other words, once you tasted something, you don't want to return back. You want something exciting, something new, something new, something new. That is the craving in the human heart. We are never satisfied. Why? Because the novelty wears off. The novelty wears off. That's why you and I, we need to recognize men can never earn enough. Clothes are never fashionable enough. Cars are never fast enough. Gadgets are never new enough. Even relationship is not romantic enough. 
Life is never satisfied. You and I, we need to, there is a search for more. We need more. And we are always looking for more things. Can I humbly say this? This is the reason why people get addicted. And especially when they're addicted to pornography. Why do they get addicted to it? Because they get addicted because they're new. They want more. They want more. What started as an innocent exploration for some would come into a place where they, they're getting deeper and deeper and sinister and perverted. Why? It leads them into a path of declension of everything in their life. Why? Because there is a search deep within that we are not satisfied. Some could be even addicted to food. You know, even when it comes to food, we, we think of, is it nutritious? Yes, it is. Is it delicious? Yes, it is. Oh, is the presentation good? And is it from a Michelin star? Is it something, how many reviews? Oh, I want, before I eat it, I want to show the whole world what I'm eating. And all the hundred people that are following me on YouTube or Facebook, they should know what I'm eating. We're never satisfied. The reason why we are not satisfied is because that is the human condition, the depraved condition of our heart. We can never be satisfied under the sun. Only when you look away from the sun, look above the sun, that is where the ultimate true satisfaction lies in life. That's why you and I, we need to come back to God. So when Solomon writes, he says, there is an existential problem. The problem is there's a lack of satisfaction. Man is never satisfied. The novelty wore off. The second thing he says is, there is in verse 10 and verse 11, there is a lack of significance. What do I mean by lack of significance? Look at this. Is there anything new of which it is said, it has already been, it has been already in the ages before us? Is there anything new? He says there's nothing new under the sun. Verse, actually verse nine, if you read it, it says there is nothing new under the sun. And when he says nothing new under the sun, some of us can say, but Solomon, you lived in a time 4,000 years ago, but after that, there is so much technology. Look, we are even at home watching this and uh, we are able to celebrate and participate as a community, even in this time. All these things are invention, innovation, and these are progress in life. What do you mean by there is nothing new under the sun? He's not talking about innovation. He's not talking about invention. He's talking about the same context. In the context, he's saying, even if you have something new today, it will not satisfy you tomorrow. The craving you have for that new iPhone, the moment you have it from the next day onwards, that doesn't satisfy anymore. And you're looking for the next update. It's the truth. And that's exactly what he's saying here. He's saying it's the reason why there is a search for ultimate satisfaction. It is ultimately, it's a search for significance. And the significance, he says in verse 10, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after I want you to pay attention to this. He says there is no remembrance in verse 11 of former things. He says, you know, man works so hard. You know, you have your university degree, you have your net worth, you leave behind everything for people who come after you. They take everything you have left behind and they will forget you. There is no remembrance. 
That's what it is. A generation comes and a generation goes and people hardly remember many things. You know, you and I, we may remember the person who landed in the moon the first time. Who was the first man to land on the moon? We all probably will remember. But do you know who landed in the moon the second time? You and I won't remember. Do you know who won the Olympics in gymnastics for last year? No. In other words, there is no remembrance. In other words, all these things are temporal, momentary. It is like you stand on the platform and you're celebrated, the applauded among people. But for how long? The very next day, many will forget. We are living in a society that is so moving so fast that what you accomplished yesterday is already long time ago. In other words, things are changing so fast. There is no remembrance of old things. Look at this. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. That is why what he's saying is people are searching for significance. They're craving for it. They're craving for their five minutes of fame, 10 minutes of fame, and be significant, be applauded in the eyes of people. But for what purpose? It doesn't last. Another way of looking at this no remembrance is not that, that people forget. It is that people don't learn. <laughs> Let me say that again. No remembrance doesn't necessarily mean that people forget. It is also because people don't learn from the past. You, know, you, you and I, we need to recognize this. Why is the monotony of life? Why do we pursue this meaningless routine of going uh, up and doing this and doing that? And he says, for what purpose? Ultimately, you want significance, but that significance is transient. It doesn't last. You know, when I think of this word significant, I want you to pay attention to what I'm going to say next because this might speak to you in this situation. When I look at life or when I look at a person's life or when I look at a business or an organization that I'm mentoring, the leaders, I look at their organization or I look at the person and say there are five stages of life. There are five stages even in an organization. The first stage is you're struggling. You're struggling to set up. The second stage is you are surviving. In other words, you have few things in place. You know what you're doing. Now there is a routine. There is a survival mode. So first is struggling, second is surviving. The third is you come to a place where you have a hang over the people, the systems, and you're moving, making progress, you're stabilizing. Fourthly, from stabilizing, now if you learn to do it well and to know how to do it even better, efficiently and effectively, now you become to a fourth stage where you're succeeding. And when you're succeeding and you do it long enough, you will have significance. That's the fifth thing. So whether it's an organization or whether it's an individual, whether it is a company or a church or a person, this is the truth. You could find yourself in one of these stages. Either you are struggling right now or you're trying to make ends meet and you're surviving this season or you're in a place where you're stable, you're okay, you're comfortable because there is enough buffer in your life, margins in your life, or you're succeeding or you're coming to a place where you're significant. Now, this is the progress of life. People want to be significant. People want to be somebody. And the reason why this is the case is because deep down, human beings were created for significance. 
Listen to me carefully. You are wired for significance. You are built for significance. That's why there's a longing for significance. But when you don't understand life under the hand of God and what true significance is, you know what you will do? Life under the sun, you will attempt trying to be somebody and feel significant in transient things. Let me say that again. Life under the sun, you are designed and you long for significance. But if you are not truly significant, you don't know how to really walk in it. You know what you will do? You pretend to be significant. You know, a, woman, a, a husband came back from work one day and he said to his wife, I have now become the vice president in my company. And then she noticed every time he gathers among his friends, he's always telling anybody he meets, he would tell, he would drop that line. I'm the vice president. I've been made vice president in my company. And the wife couldn't take it one day. So she took him aside and said, honey, can you please not make a big deal that you are the vice president of the company? These days, it is not a big deal. He says, what? It is not a big deal. It is a big deal. No, no, it's not a big deal. They have vice presidents even in the supermarkets. Really? Yeah, even in the supermarket, they have a vice president for prawn section. What? Now his ego is completely deflated. So what he does, he calls the supermarket the next day. And he says, hey, can I speak to your vice president for prawn section? And the receptionist replied back and said, do you want fresh or frozen prawns? In other words, it's not a big deal. You know, a story was told of a captain who was taking his new position in the new headquarters. So he was reallocated to this new headquarters. He's walking in. He's setting himself up in his new office. He's the captain. And uh, uh, he saw a private walking in to the office who wants to meet him. So he wanted to pretend that he was engaged and he was somebody. So he picked up the phone and he started to pretend to talk to the general. He said, General, yes, General, no problem. I'll speak to the president and I'll get back to you. No problem, General, no problem. Thank you, thank you for giving me this opportunity. And then he put down the phone and then he looked at the private and said, come in, what do you want? And the private just said, sir, I'm here to connect your telephone. In other words, we try to be somebody. Why do we try? Because we want people to see us significant. I want you to pay attention to this church. This is a craving in human heart. You may say, Pastor, uh, I don't think so. No, no, no. Can I humbly say this? A teenager engaging in a premarital sex, bottom line, is significance, craving for that. A young person wanting to join a gang, craving for significance. A businessman wanting to join a high flyers club. Why? It is because he has a deep down need for significance. A housewife, she cooks something and then she takes a photo and puts it on social media. Why? She wants significance. She wants people to be able to say that you are great. When you receive people into your home and you play the nice hostess, you want someone to come and tell you, you are a great hostess, you, your hospitality is superb. We crave for significance. No human being that I know of doesn't have that. Every one of us crave for this. So you and I, we need to recognize that this is built in. You know, a story was told of Alfred Noble. Many of you know him 
uh, as uh, the man who instituted Nobel Prize, Alfred Nobel. He was a scientist, and one day, um, he's known for discovering dynamite and other explosives. One day when he was reading the French newspaper, it had an obituary. The, the reporter had wrongly reported. The reporter heard that his uh, brother had died, but because they have the same surname, he thought it was Alfred Nobel, and so he published an obituary. And the title of the obituary was, The Merchant of Death, the Merchant of Death is Dead. And when Alfred Noble read that, is this how people are going to remember me after I'm gone? From that day, he instituted Nobel Prize. He left all his inheritance in a will for instituting this so that people years later will applaud him for promoting other things rather than just creating dynamite and explosives. Why do we do what we do? Because there's a need for significance. And can I humbly say this? This need for significance drives people to get into debt. This need for significance drives people to get into bed with someone who's not their spouse. This need for significance makes them go and be part of a party where there are drugs happening and they want to join the club, so they go and do wrong choices, foolish choices. Ultimately, it's this need for significance that drives you to do what you do. If you're a liar, you lie because of significance. You steal because of significance. It is those things that causes you. That's a key driver. And, and Solomon here addresses that key driver. And he says, this under the life under the sun, there is no satisfaction. Nothing satisfies. And under the sun, nothing truly makes you significant. This is where I want you to switch your mode of thinking from under the sun to under the hand of God. Life under the hand of God. Do you know life under the hand of God? You are already significant. You don't have to strive to be significant. Can I say this, church? When the Lord created mankind, he created mankind in his own image. And when he created mankind in his own image, the Bible says this, that God blessed man and gave him dominion over everything in the world, everything in this earth. Do you know, mankind had dominion over animals. Mankind had dominion. Once upon a time, the lion, the bear, everything obeyed man. Man was not afraid of animals. Animals obeyed man. There was a harmony in nature. Because God had created man specifically with the image of God and he had given him dominion. But the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered into the heart of man. Because man rebelled against God and man wanted to take matters into his own hand. And the moment he took matters in his own hand and rebelled against the word of God, the Bible says he fell into sin. And because he fell into sin, he lost his dominion over the earth. Once upon a time, wild animals were afraid of men. But now, man is afraid of wild animals. Man today is afraid of not only visible creatures, but invisible creatures. Look around the world today. What is keeping you locked up? What is keeping you in lockdown? What is, what is causing all this chaos in the world? 
It's an invisible creature. It's an invisible, it's an invisible thing. And this happened because sin entered into the world. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. You and I cannot come back to God, cannot live under the hand of God. You are stuck under the sun kind of life. You're stuck like the stranded, like the cruise ship that cannot go anywhere. The only reason why you can move away from that life that is stranded and insignificant and come to a life under the hand of God and be significant is only if you are restored. Because man had marred the image of God by falling into sin and pushing God away from everything. You know, the greatest battle we fight today is a battle of ideology, not the virus church. It's the battle for your life, the meaning, the purpose, the ultimate significance. Do you know who you are? Do you know who created you? Do you know how much he loves you, how much he values you, how much you are significant before him? But because we rejected and we embraced a secular humanistic view of life. Let me give you four things about the humanism, secular humanism, humanistic view of life. Four things. Number one, man is the measure of all things. Man is the measure of all things. In other words, man is the ultimate when you're a humanist. Number two, why man is ultimate? Because you don't believe in creation, you believe in evolution. You think man was once upon a time in a, a, a cell and then it multiplied, multiplied and now he is a human being. You think of evolution, not creation. The Because of evolution, you, you remove creator. Therefore, you are stuck on your own. That's the humanistic thinking. Number one, man is the measure of all things. Number two, that man was cre not created but, but evolved. Thirdly, there is no absolute truth. Everything is relative. Everything is subjective. In other words, what you know is true, you, it is true for you. What you believe, you can do it. What feels good, you go ahead. Because there is no ultimate truth. There is no absolutes. That's the humanistic view. Life under the sun is meaningless and routine. The reason why it is aimless and purposeless and ultimately futile, the reason is because it is void of God. And fourthly, they say there is no such thing as God. God is either, there is no being as God, or God is dead. If he was alive one point, now he is dead and he's no more. Or if God is no more, is, even if God is dead, he's irrelevant to what goes on in the world. That's the secular humanistic thinking. And this is the stinking thinking that has caused you to be trapped in that same life under the sun. A routine, a mere routine, a mere movement, uh, walking in the treadmill kind of life. The daily grind. No aim, no purpose, no real satisfaction and no real sense of significance. Can I humbly say this? You and I, we need to return back to God. Because if you want to live life under the sun, you are just born in this world. But if you want to live life under the hand of God, you have to be born again in this world. What is born again, church? This is what it means to be born again. The Bible says you have to acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you were born in sin, 
that you have rebelled against God and disobeyed God and you are found guilty in the eyes of God. Number two, you got to acknowledge that God who loves you, God who created you, he loved you and he knows that you cannot save yourself. Therefore, 2000 years ago, God himself became man. And when God became man, he took the form of a man. He was fully God, fully man. His name is Jesus. And this Jesus, he loved you. That's why God gave his only son for you, for me. He loves you. You are so significant enough that he came for you. Not only that, he not only came because he loves you. Thirdly, he took your place and my place. Our place of disobedience, our place of judgment, our place of condemnation, our place of guilt, he took. And not only did he take and he took the punishment what we deserved. He gave us his place. That's the fourth thing. He took our place so we can take his place. In other words, the moment you believe in your heart that Jesus, the son of God, died for your sin... The moment you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died for your sin, the moment you believe that and you confess it with your mouth, Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that Jesus died for me. I acknowledge that my sin has been forgiven. The moment you come and acknowledge that, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, the Bible says you will be born again. You are saved. And when you are saved, you are translated from a life that is under the sun to a life under the mighty hand of God. Where you can now have God and his goodness and his guidance navigating you in life. Church, I want you to recognize this. The search for significance. The search for significance is that you are already significant to the creator God who created you. To a creator God who loved you and gave himself for you. You're already significant. Come back to that knowledge. Come back to that place to recognize my life doesn't have to be a meaningless routine. A meaningless exercise. An aimless pursuit. My life is filled with meaning and purpose and a destiny. Why? Because God loves me and he redeemed me. He rescued me from my sin. He delivered me from every curse and he has given me life. And he has given me a mission to pursue in life. That's why every single day, it's an adventure with Jesus. Every single day, you're excited about life. Hallelujah. No matter what the world goes through, you and I have this. Our past has been taken care of. The wounds of the past is forgiven and forgotten and cleansed. So we can release forgiveness. The future worry we don't have. Why? Because future is secure. Jesus says, I'll come. I will take you to myself. And you and I spend eternity with him. Church, this is what the Bible calls being born again. The world is searching for something new to satisfy them. The world is searching for something new to save them from the trouble they are in. The world will always be searching for something new. And that something new is only found in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed and behold, the new has come. I want you to read this together with me. Three, two, one. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are new. 
The old is gone and the new has come. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 that because you have been identified with him in his burial by the baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The moment you give your life to Jesus, you are identified with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That is why you get baptized. When you get baptized, you're identifying with Jesus' death as you go into the water. And when you come out of the water, you walk in the newness of life. The old is gone, the new has come. And you get ready for the new Jerusalem, the new city of God, the new heaven, the new earth, the consummation of all things. And that is what we are awaiting. And we are waiting for the Lord's return. Church, I want you to take a moment. I want you to go before God and examine your own life. Every head bow, every eye closed all across this place. You know, you and I, we are searching for something that the world can never offer. Life under the sun cannot satisfy you. Cannot give you significance. But when you raise your eyes above the sun... And look to God. Life under the hand of God. You can find true and ultimate satisfaction. Because in Christ, your life is significant. Hallelujah. Every head bow, every eye closed all across this place. If you have never placed your faith in Christ, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. It is not too late, young man. It's not too late, old person. It's not too late. Whoever you are, you can give your life back to God and get right with Him. Because if you die tonight, do you have the assurance that you will wake up in his presence and have eternity with him? I'm speaking to even those who may say that they are Christians. Just because you have a Christian name doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you attended church all your life doesn't make you a Christian. You got to fall in love with Jesus. You got to give your life to him. You got to believe and confess that Jesus died for your sin and give your life to him. Don't go back into the meaningless routine of living under the sun, but live an exciting life, a life of adventure under the hand of God. Hallelujah. If you are a person who is coming back to Christ this morning, I want to encourage you. If you are a father in the house, I want you to lead your family in prayer. Even if the children are listening to me, I want the father in the house, the mother in the house to talk to the children afterwards today, to ask them if they would make that commitment to follow Christ, to give their life to Christ, because this is of great need right now. Oh, hallelujah. Young man, young woman, they may have told you that you don't have a job at the moment. But can I humbly say this? You could be in the season of struggle. You could be in the season of trying to survive. But this too shall pass. This is not the season for you to be depressed. This is not the season for you to look at your lack. This is the season for you to dig deep and to grow before God and to grow in the knowledge of God, grow in intimacy with God. Don't take your spiritual life for granted because this life is precious. Invest it wisely. This is a divine opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to come back to God, to be ready for His coming. Hallelujah. So young people, listen to me carefully. Oh, I have nothing to do. Can I say humbly, you had so much to do. Grow in the knowledge of God. Start your own, start to pray before the Lord. Fast and pray and seek the will of God, the mind of God and say, Lord, help me through this season. 
Now is not the time to catch up on Netflix and TV movies. Now is the time for you to go before God and to say, Lord, in the world is changing. And can I say this church? The church, the, 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 the world will never return back to the normal way it was before. It has shifted to a new normal. You and I need to adapt to the new normal. And this could last for another two years, three years. Two weeks ago, I preached a prophetic message that I said, when the city is besieged, that city could be besieged for three years. One year, two years, three years. It gets a long term. I want you to recognize what is going on in the world today. The impact of it will be long term. But you and I, we need to recognize and come back to things that are fundamental, things that are vital and greater importance. So family of God, I speak to you from the bottom of my heart. I urge you earnestly to seek God and to seek his face as a family. Give your life to him. Oh, hallelujah. Shall we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We praise you, mighty God. I want to give you a moment to pray for the family. Pray for your family. Pray for your loved ones. Come pray. I want you to pray. Thank you for listening to our message. We pray that God's word spoke to your heart and gave you an inspiration and encouragement. If you are truly blessed by this, would you take a moment to leave a comment or give us a rating on the Apple podcast service? Not only that, take an opportunity to share this on social media platforms so others who are in similar situations may be encouraged with the Word of God. We love you. If you want to connect with our church, go to connect.idmc.com.au and share with us where you're from, what you're doing, so that we can keep you in our prayers before the Lord. God bless you. 